So we're going to do the questions in reverse from the way we did them um, last service so that we can get some that we didn't get to last service. But we are going to start with the Ulmer's section. That's and, not exactly And go reverse. backwards. That's I like the middle with, and then the end. I don't want to start with the heavy stuff. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So let's start on question 11 under Ulmer's. Uh. When was the time that you doubted God the most? And these are a segment of questions where you guys want to get to know us a little better and hear about our own personal experiences. Um, I'll answer this because you answered it pretty in-depth last service. Okay. So, a time that I doubted God the most. You know, one of my favorite verbs of discipleship that we use for small groups is that last one, number seven, wait. You guys, we live in a world where it is just, I want it now. Uh, I need it right this second. Like, I can get on Amazon today and order something, and it's going to be in my, you know, house tomorrow. We don't really have to wait for much, and yet when you look at Scripture, it's all about waiting because waiting is a faithful thing, a faith-filled thing, to wait for something that God promises, like salvation, his son, um, the second coming, like waiting is implicit in all of it. And so anytime you're waiting for something, you're going to probably wrestle with a little bit of doubt or, like we're doing today, asking questions. And the, the thing to remember is that God's not afraid of that. We ended our last service with what we're going to start with this, but God's term of endearment for us, his people, is Israel. And the phrase, the word Israel means one who wrestles with God. So God says to us with like love, Israel. And he's basically affirming, I love that you wrestle with me, that you ask questions of me, that you want to know me more, and that, that it's a little bit of a, a wrestling match sometimes. He's not afraid of our questions. He's not intimidated by what we are reluctant to bring to him. He enjoys it, just like I enjoy getting to know everything I possibly can about Brooke, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's no ugly. And so God is the same way. He loves to wrestle with us. He loves to be intimate with us. But when there's waiting, when you're waiting for something, many of you are waiting for love, um, waiting for test results, um, there's an opportunity to wrestle with the Lord. And so when was the time you doubted God the most? Man, anytime I feel like he says something to me and the answer's not right there, I got to wrestle with him a little bit. So, would you add anything to that? Well, yeah, I, I actually recently went through a long season of doubt with the Lord um, from being kind of like up a lot at night with River, not having enough rest. I neglected spending time in the Word. Hmm. And I had no idea what that would do to my relationship with God, that I just drew, grew dry. Um, I stopped really believing the things that he had even done in my life in the past because I was too busy worrying about the now, worrying about changing diapers and feeding my family and homeschooling the big kids, and I wasn't, like, enjoying the Lord and knowing him. Um, and it wasn't until I finally was like, okay, this, this has got to stop. I need to be back in the Word that I started to feel his presence again. Um, but without being in the word, for me, I began to doubt God pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, the days that I have a time with the Lord in the scriptures are always better days than without. And if I go a day or three, I feel it. And so feeding, He's not pleasant. feeding your <laughs> faith is so important. And the best way to do it is, is, I mean, there's many ways, but like personal time in this book is so important. 
to feeding your faith. But know that seasons of doubt are okay. They that are. That it's safe to doubt and come to the Lord with your doubt and to go to your, your friends with doubt um, because without doubt, your faith is just blind belief. It's not real faith. And um, you have to be willing to choose to have faith in God. Yeah, to wrestle. Mm-hmm. All right. Why did you shave off your beard? I don't know which one of us this question is for, <laughs> but um, I mean, I haven't shaved my beard off for so over a year. So sometimes he shaves his beard off because he messed it up, because it's he'll like try and trim it, and he doesn't use the tools, and he's just like trying to like wing Rush. it a little bit, and then he ruined it. And sometimes he's sick, and he gets itchy, and he gets mad, and he shaves it When off. I have a cold, you know, your face is like ultra sensitive, and so like every whisker is like an antennae of like torture. And so the last time I fully shaved my beard, it was because of that. I just needed to get it off of me. And then as soon as I did, I felt better and regretted it at the same time. I have that with my legs sometimes. (laughs) It's been a while. No. No shave November, right? (laughs) (laughs) What was your biggest struggle when you were students? Um, so I struggled with everything as a student because I, uh, I did not have the Lord in my life. Um, and what's interesting is even like by the world standards, I think I was probably considered a bad person. Um, personally, I struggled with like fear, unresolved childhood trauma. Um, and as a result, I acted out. I was very hard on the outside. I was really like a mean person. Um, I did drugs, alcohol, sex. Um, so pretty much if you're a rotten person, I can understand you. Or if you suffer with rotten things, like no judgment here, like I understand. Um, but by the power of Jesus, I can say that like none of those problems are a part of my life today. Um, and it's almost like not even me when I look back on those things. Like, I know that it's me, and that I'm responsible for that, and I gave that to the Lord, and His grace has paid for it, and I'm grateful, um, but I'm free from it at the same time. Yeah. God has a beautiful way of taking the things that we're most afraid of, most ashamed of, and turning them into these shining testimonies. I mean, I can talk freely about what a horrible boyfriend I was, and I was a, like, constant boyfriend because I was so insecure with myself that I couldn't be not with someone. And I could talk about my alcoholism and my drug use, not with pride, but just God has freed me from those things. So I say that for your benefit if you're wrestling with something right now, whether it's of that degree or another, God can redeem that as soon as you invite him in. But to answer the question for myself, I would say it's the same as Brooke. I was garbage when I was a young person, when I was a teenager, deep into my 20s. I think for me, the thing that I struggled with the most was I had no clear sense of who I was or why I was here. I did not know that I existed because Jesus loves me and that I get to love him and make his love known. That's why we're here. Matthew 5, 13. We are here to glorify God, to receive his love and to give it back and then share it. And I had no clue about that, which meant because I had that, didn't have that foundation, anything and everything that came along by the world standard is good, I would try and almost all of it I would regret. So I had all kinds of struggles as a young person, but as soon as I got with Jesus, he started to change the way that I think about why I was here and who I was. He took my identity as that I had embraced alcoholic, and he quickly and slowly over time let me know, no, I didn't create you to be an alcoholic. I created you to be an artist. 
That didn't happen overnight, but the understanding did. So that was a big struggle for me. What is your opinion on gaming? I'm assuming video games in moderation. Um, unless the Lord has convicted you that gaming for you is sin, gaming in moderation I think is fine. What was it you said before? What's the quote? All things? Well, all, I don't know. All <laughs> things in moderation are okay? Well, yeah, all things in moderation are okay unless the Lord is convicting you of sin. Um, and, and just because your friend isn't convicted of sin in that area, if you are, you have to listen to the Holy Spirit inside of you. Um, only you know really what it does to you on the inside if you're, you know, addicted to it or if you're playing games that have like pornography in it or excessive violence if you see the fruit of that in your life that it's not good um, it is your responsibility to do something about it and maybe gaming at all isn't okay for you um, but there's no like one answer to that yeah and I would say this question goes beyond the, the scope of gaming but anything in moderation I mean I don't know who this person is and believe me I've struggled with gaming and all kinds of other things but this question sounds like maybe we're looking for an excuse that, okay, I know it's bad, I know the games I play are bad, but if I just play like a little less, is that okay? Again, to Brooke's point, if the Lord has convicted you that, when I used to play games, I'd play from like 10 o'clock at night to like five in the morning, and it would affect my whole next day, and in fact, it would sometimes affect days, and I just knew like nothing good came out of that. And if that's the case for you and whatever your thing is, I would say, yeah, try to limit it, but if you still feel that way, man, just shut it down, walk away. It's not like gaming is going to, unless you're making money on it for a living and you like feel free in it, you're not going to miss anything if you're not playing those games. Well, and if the moderation just leads you and tempts you to do more and more and more, then that's a problem. But even if you're only doing one hour and you can put it down, if you're mean to your brother during that time, then maybe you shouldn't be playing. What is your biggest fear in life? You want me to go? You go. I'm not scared of a whole lot of stuff. I don't say that to like point a finger at myself. Um, I used to be care scared of all kinds of stuff. Uh, spiders. Anybody scared of spiders? I look at the scriptures and I see these stories, Old Testament and New, where like God said, you have the power and the authority to like stomp on snakes and scorpions. And I just throw spiders in there. But the more I get to know who I am in the Lord and the more confidence I gain by spending time with him and learning who I am and why I'm here, I find the less that I'm afraid of just in life. I mean, just yesterday, I, I let a spider crawl on me, and I picked a bee up with my hands because I'm just like, I the know... The bug whisperer yesterday. It's the freak out that they don't like, right? And that's when they try to get you. But I think the things that I'm afraid of in life are things like um, if Brooke was being hurt and I couldn't do anything to help her, or if my children, um, not so much a personal fear, but if they, if they go astray from the Lord... Um, and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, I, I know many good Christian parents, but their, their student goes through a rough season, and that's a scary thing as a parent, but that's also part of waiting and faith and letting that person discover themselves on their own journey. Yeah, I don't know that I'm afraid of them straying so much as never coming back. That's what scares me. And for a second there, I was afraid of you saying you're not afraid of anything, so I'm like, great, we're going to get tested now. Please that's don't what say I said. something like that. I'm scared <laughs> of stuff. All right. Will you be having any more children? No. No. You know, we prayed about it a couple years ago. I prayed about going and getting procedure because we'd had two kids and I'm in my 40s now. And I felt like the Lord said no. Um, I felt like he said no uh, in a beautiful way, but a humbling way that, you know, Justin, your body belongs to me before it belongs to you. 
That's a big thing to wrap your mind around. And so I obeyed him, and I didn't go that route. And then a year later, God convicted us that he wanted us to have children, that he, uh, more children, that having more children would be part of Brooke's healing of some stuff that she had going on in her, in her body at that time. And so I'm so grateful that I obeyed him. And so Brooke did get pregnant, and, and we miscarried, which was awful. But even in that, God was there. And then we got pregnant again immediately with River. And Brooke's body was healed through pregnancy, the way God said. And he did give us the son that he said he would. And we felt like after that journey that we were released to no longer have any more kids. But I also really want an Asian Down syndrome baby like Eloise, like Harrison's Eloise. So since I can't make one of those, maybe we'll adopt one of those one day. You never know. I yeah. really want a fat I Asian I think adoption baby. could very easily be in our future, but maybe wait for River to be out of diapers. Yes. By some years. One at a time. All right. Um, how, when did you begin having quiet time, and what kind of questions do you ask God? Why don't you answer the second piece? What kind of questions do you ask the Lord in prayer and in your quiet time? It depends on if I'm trusting him well at the time or not. So when I'm not trusting him well, I need him to answer questions about my life. Like I almost want like reassurance, you know, like, okay, God, you're good. Please remind me that you're good. Like remind me that everything's going to be okay. Um, I ask for a lot of things. Like, will you please, like, bring someone in my life to help me with this? Or would you please, you know, help me with homeschooling? Would you please help me with all these different insecurities and all these different, yeah, all that stuff. Um, when I'm trusting him well, like, when I've been in, you know, in the Word daily, when I've been having my regular quiet times, um, I usually ask questions like, like, what can I do for you today? Like, how can I bless you how can um, I help bring your kingdom, you know, on earth today? Um, so it, it changes, you know, like based on where, where I'm at. Yeah. For me, I started having quiet times as soon as I gave my life to Jesus because I just figured as much as I had great and godly counselors in my life and still do, why talk to this individual when I can just go straight to the source? You guys, I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but every single time myself or Kaylin or Javi preached to you, we are basically just restating exactly what we read in this book. And so as much as God uses church and, and he uses pastors to experience the scriptures in a way that is shareable to the masses, um, we are just going to the source and then sharing with you. And so you should be going to the source too. If you have questions, by all means, come to church. By all means, talk about it in small groups. Ask me or Brooke or your small group leader questions. Godly people that you know and respect, ask them questions. But you should also first be going to the source and talking to God about whatever questions, based on however you're feeling that day, that you may have, and then opening the Word and seeing what it says. I have yet to ask God a question in my quiet time and read in this book and not come away with, maybe not always like the answer, but a better perspective, um, wiser prayers. And so I started when I first became a believer, and I don't think I'll ever stop. The hour that I spend in this book in prayer every morning is the best hour of my day. And I say that with my bride sitting right next to me. Oh, yeah. No, you need that. You need that. I need that. You need me to need yes. that. Yes. All right. What's your favorite type of tree? I like weeping willows. Okay. I like really big pretty. oak trees with low branches that you can climb on. And I don't like pine trees. I don't like pine trees. Especially these skinny ones we have here. Yeah. What a mess. All right. Good question, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> Has peer pressure ever shaken your faith? Um, 
you know, when I became a believer, my, my God, my idols were my friends. You know, I was an alcoholic for seven to ten years, and I was at the peak of my alcoholism when I gave my life to Jesus, which was a big piece of why I gave my life to Jesus. But it wasn't really alcoholism that I was addicted to as much as the approval of my friends. And so when I became a believer, everything was peer pressure because all of a sudden I'm wanting to please the Lord and step away from sin, and yet that's all that I did with my friends was sin and hurt myself and hurt my body and hurt my bank account. And so there was all kinds of peer pressure. But I would say one of the biggest struggles for me peer pressure-wise was I tried to please both. I tried to please God and my friends. I gave myself to the Lord literally during the day, but at night it was all about partying with my friends. And I literally would feel over time my soul like being torn. Irreparably. (laughs) Just give it up. <laughs> Couldn't fix it. Irrevocably? Irreparably. No. Irreparably? You know what I'm trying to say. I don't know. Anyway, I, in a way that was irreparable. Uh. And that was actually really what I needed. But it was. I needed the Lord to show me you've got to go one way or the other and you can't go half. It's got to be all. And it was when I fully chose the Lord, which meant having to step away some, from some friends, that my faith and my my confidence on myself shot through the roof. And by the grace of God, so many of those friends have been brought back to me, and I've even got to lead to faith. But there was a season where I had to step away from them because not that they were bad. I didn't have enough control to say no when I was with them because I had made their opinion more important than the Lord's. So when I was y'all's age, I actually gave in to peer pressure. Um, I was like taking the steps to give my life to Jesus or, you know, receive his, um, his offer of grace. And a friend of mine told me that it was stupid because I was just afraid of dying and that that wasn't a good enough reason to become a Christian. Uh, And so I said, okay, well, if you think I'm stupid and afraid, I'm going to show you that I'm not afraid and I'm not stupid and I'm not going to become a Christian. Um, And so I didn't become a Christian. I'll show you. Then I know, right? Until I was 20, almost 21. Um, So, yeah, I let peer pressure uh, have a huge, huge influence on my life at y'all's age. Um, So don't listen to that, you guys. Don't listen to those accusations from the enemy that um, he's using your friend in that moment. Yeah, and don't let him use you either. Um, What do you two fight about the most? We don't have a thing we fight about the most so much as if we disagree, we're going to (laughs) fight. Um. Justin hates it if I disagree on something. And, like, agreeing to disagree, it takes us a minute to get there, right? Sometimes the minute lasts an hour. Uh, yeah, it was like an hour yesterday. Because we fought yesterday. I, I had a specific stroller that I was preparing to take with us on vacation. I have three different strollers for three different reasons. But the one I wanted <laughs> to take, I had to kind of take apart in order to wash it because it hadn't been used in a long time. And I couldn't figure out how to snap it back together. So I needed help. And then he comes in and he says, well, let's use this one. It's smaller and we're traveling. And I said, I don't want to use that one. Plus that one had sand all over it from taking it to the beach. And it's a color I don't really like. And he's like, well, we're going to take that That was the one. main thing. I don't like it. It's green. I don't like that one. It's an ugly shade of green. People like and green. And so I'm like, well, no, I have already decided I want this one and I need help with this one. And he didn't want to help. And he's like, no, we can't take that one. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I, we're taking this one. He goes, I don't get a say. And I said, no. 
It's a stroller. You do not get a say. I am already decided. But guess what? I'm not going to take that one because I never figured it out. It's just sitting there like half undone. So one could say that one of us was right and the other was wrong. One of us won. (laughs) Here's here's the main thing from yesterday's argument and really the main thing for us. Um, In all relationships, but especially marriage, um, I was... I was right yesterday to a degree, but like... It didn't matter. It didn't matter. It's not what I wanted. What was the point of me saying I'm right when my wife's feelings were on the line and she was already in a place of stress? I mean, when you become a dad or a wife, a a mother, they make these strollers in a way. It's like we're trying to put this thing together. It was secondhand as most of our strollers are. And it's kind of like put the Legos back together when you've lost the instructions and they're not put together right. It just doesn't make sense. It's like sense. you just don't, you can't figure it out. It doesn't out. go back together. And so Brooke was in that place of trying to do this. And I came up and all I cared about was, well, I'm right. And it was not worth it. That hour lost. And I actually asked for help. You did ask and for help. I don't help. ask for help well. I know. You don't. But anyway, <laughs> I would say for us, what we fight about the most is when we don't communicate well. Here's a better way to put it. One of my favorite scriptures is where it says that Jesus, um, you know, sacrificed himself and there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friend. And that means for all of us, but especially us men, us husbands, that when you see that she wants something, you are willing to lay down your interests for her. And when I don't do that, it does not go well because that's what I'm called to do as a husband. Does that mean you're going to help me fix it later today? Not we to take still on have the trip. about 24 hours. Oh, man. Oh. All right, we're going to have another talk like this next week. All right. Is pink your favorite hair color? Yes. Yes, it is. It Mine is the too. best. Yeah. It brings out my rosy cheeks. And it's a great conversation starter, but not like, oh, freak. But yes. like, people love your hair. Yes, it's like an in. I have permission to talk to anyone because everyone thinks they have a right to comment on it, right? Yeah, because, but You can't I mean, always comment on just someone's like, oh, look at your big butt or something like that. You know what I mean? But they can be like, so why'd you dye your hair pink? And I can tell them. Tell us more about the butt. No. no. All right. Let's shift gears. Here's some questions we didn't get to at all last service. Let's go with number uh, three. What happens to isolated tribes or people who have never heard of Jesus when they die? For example, Native Americans, Aborigines, people in the 1400s, etc. You guys understand that question? So this person's ever read the Bible, heard about Jesus, they die. What happens to them? Well, um, one of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament is Romans chapter 1, verses, I think, 18 through 21. And it says... Um, behold, no eye has seen, no ear. Nope, that's not the right. That's not the right quote. It basically <laughs> says that. Yeah, no, that is the right one. There's never been a human being alive with senses, particularly sight, but not only sight, that hasn't seen or heard or felt or experienced nature. And so, because we as people can experience nature, you can go outside, and especially back in the day, and see. The Milky Way and the stars and galaxies. You can see the moon and the sun. You can experience seasons. You can experience the circle of life. Because anyone and everyone that's ever been alive on planet Earth experiences these things. The Bible says in Romans 1, no one has an excuse for not knowing God. 
So right there, the Bible says that because of nature, in the experience of nature, that every single soul, everything, every single person that's ever been born has a reason to recognize somebody made that. And it's for me. But and what it makes about sense. Jesus? What's that? But what about Jesus? What about the ones who don't know about Jesus? Well, what would you say? I would say that we are held accountable to what we have been given, the knowledge we have been given, um, and the rest of it is in God's hands. So much of it is in God's hands. The Bible also makes it clear that that thing inside of you that knows right from wrong, your conscience, that's a gift of God. And when you accept Jesus Christ, you get the Holy Spirit, which takes it to a whole new level. But we all have something innate in us that we're born with that knows right from wrong. And when we are alive and never get to read the Bible and never get to hear the name of Jesus Christ, that's what we're held accountable to. And just by the grace of God, you know, when Jesus was in the tomb for the three days, it said right there in Scripture in mysterious, bigger-than-me language that he went down to where all the souls of every single person who had died before he came to earth, and he witnessed to them, and he ministered to them and said, okay, here's who I am, and here's what I have to offer. What do you say? <laughs> and I can't see how any single one of those souls didn't say, I'm in, let's go. But even to those who died before Jesus came, they got ministered to. Now, does that continue to happen? I don't know. But nature, conscience, and just God's prompting. Also, I would say, and this is longer than I wanted to spend on this question, but it's a good one. We've spent time doing missionary work in other countries. And you guys, we have the word available all day, every day here in America. Thank you, God, that we live in a free country. But those that don't live in a free country, places like Iran and communist China and isolated places like what this question's asking about, God shows up to those people in dreams and visions. We have witnessed people hearing about Jesus for the first time in their lives, never heard the name and said, oh, I saw that guy in a dream and he said oh, that he's the him. way. And so God does so much more than we realize. But all the more reason why we who do know who he is and do have this book should share him readily with hope and joy. Where would you be without Jesus? That's all, right, all I have to say about one. that. Next one. All right, you ask. What's the most important part of leading? Can I start? Yeah, for sure. So I think leading, it's more important to be a good shepherd, right? Like Jesus was the good shepherd. And when I think of that, it makes me think of like, though I walk through the valley of, shadow of, de of the shadow of death, you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. And so I think the most important part of leading is to shepherd with your rod and your staff, which were for leading and guiding um, to a place of, like, peace with the Lord. Yeah? I think that's great. Okay. I think it's also, uh, if you want to be a leader, serve. Hmm. Make it about serving people, not saying this is what we should do because I think it's right. If you serve people, that will come. God will give you that. One of my favorite things about working in this church, specifically on the student team, is that every single one of those people back there that call the student team their team are servants first. They're all leaders. They have huge responsibilities. Responsibilities you guys be battling, like, really, you're in charge of that? But every single one of them will be the first one to pick up a piece of trash, sit down with a brand new student, just a snotty mess, and just say, how can I love you? How can I pray for you? How can I serve you today? If you want to know my opinion on what's the most important part of leading, it's the individual touch of, I'm, I'm going to lead by example. If you're hungry to lead in a way that says, I just want to be in front of people, 
um, God's got some lessons in your near future. I had a volunteer come to me just in the last few months and say, I, I have such a heart for teenagers. I have such a heart for student ministry. I want to be here. I want to pour into them. And I'm like, that's awesome. We don't know you. You don't know them. So why don't you start by serving on the pancake ministry, right? Just a small, simple thing. Oh, no, I want to be on stage and I want to preach. Well, let's just start serving. And that person just walked away. And I'm like, you have a heart for students? but all you want to do is be up here, God says that whoever wants to be the greatest among you will choose the least place. Jesus, God, chose the least place by being a man, and now he's at the right hand of the Father. If you want to know how to lead, you serve people first. Put other people ahead of yourself, and he will give you remarkable opportunities to do you so. You do have to be willing to lead them up above you, to be happy and embrace that they could be raised above you. If mm. you're not willing to lead them to a place where they can be even bigger and better than you, then your heart is not right for leading. That's right. And another tip for leadership is if you're the leader, always take the blame when things go wrong. Mm. And when things go right, always give away the credit. One of my favorite quotes from The Office is when Michael Scott says, I want all of the credit and none of the blame. That's the opposite of what good leadership is, although that's a really funny line. All right, next question. What does the Bible say about dealing with stress and mental health? Mm. So the Bible talks a lot about not fearing and not being afraid and not, like, striving, right? Like, that's not the Lord's will for us. But he wouldn't say that as often as he does if it wasn't something he knew that we would struggle with. Um, so, yes, like, the Lord says says not to do it, but I don't think it's possible to not do it without his help, right? Without being in the word and being able to like know his character and know his love for you and know that, okay, like while I want to stress out about this, the Lord says that it's okay, that he'll take care of it, that the Lord provides for those he loves, that he numbers every hair on your head. He accounts for every tear that you ever cry. Um, and as far as like mental health goes, Stress leads to mental health issues, um, like just the physical nature of it. There's trauma, there's stress, there's prolonged like experience of like cortisol, and that changes the way your brain works. Um, the Lord does sometimes miraculously heal people from stuff like that. In my case, like I've suffered with OCD, anxiety, and depression for ten years, twenty years. 20 years? Um, I was on medication for about 10 years. I'm not currently on it because of nursing river. But um, sometimes the Lord allows us to have certain weaknesses to keep us close to him. Um, in fact, I saw my psychiatrist a week ago, and I asked, how many times do you see people miraculously healed? And he said, just a handful of times. And he has 1,800 patients. For real? Right? Yeah, he doesn't take new patients, I know. He's a lot of people. Um, and he's a Christian psychiatrist. So those are probably mostly Christians in our community who are dealing with major mental health issues who, for the most part, are needing a little bit of, like, help, right? And counseling, like, never hurts, just so you all know. Like, Counseling's counseling great. is, like, the best thing ever. Christian counselor. Christian if, you're, counseling. if you're a believer, yes. connect with a believer. One of the things that I love about um, what the Bible says regarding this topic is comes from Philippians 4, uh, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then 
you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Right there at the get-go, God acknowledges, you have things to stress about. You're broken people living in a broken world and heaven's not until you're dead, so you got stuff to worry about. But he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, take your worries and turn them into prayers. Turning your complaints, turning your stressors into prayers, it gives peace. And then don't just pray, but also thank God for something in your prayer. You guys, that's spiritual, take it to the bank language right there, but also just the way you and I are made, the way God created us. When you say thank you, when you have an attitude of gratitude, it literally changes the chemistry of your brain. If you complain all the time, you're going to complain more and stress more. When you say thank you all the time and you live gratefully, you're going to experience more gratitude. Experiencing gratitude releases the, not pheromones. It's like dopamine, I Dopamine that your body needs. And so turning your complaints and your stressors into prayer is a huge way to help navigate mental health. Another way to navigate it is, man, talk to somebody. It can be, but it does not have to be a Christian counselor. But um, second leading cause of death amongst teenagers in America is what? Suicide. And suicide takes place because we don't talk about what's going on. That's why we impress upon you the, the value and the importance of being in a small group, of coming to events like Freedom, where you can just talk and find out, man, that thing I was mortified of, we're all wrestling with it. We're all dealing with that. And don't wait to be asked, you guys, because sometimes we miss it. We don't get to always ask. You've got to speak up and tell us. We want to know like we care to know. Yeah. yeah. And actually, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was having like this major meltdown, and um, I went and met with my mentor, who just happens to be a Christian counselor, and I was like, I hate this, and I hate this, and I hate this, and I hate this, and I was so mad. I'm like, I'm ready to quit everything. Like, I'm done. And she goes, well, why don't we go through that list? She took notes, right, of, like, all the things you hate, and let's turn it around and say, okay, well, what do you want instead so that we know specifically what to ask God for so that then we can see God show up, right? So instead of, like, me just focusing on all of the bad things, all the things I hated, all the things I didn't want in my life anymore— she was like, okay, well, how are we going to find God moving in that, right? Like, it's easy to be stuck in our negativity and not, like, realize that God's doing something. But if I can be like, okay, well, I would like this, Lord, then we can see, oh, yeah, he was there and he did that mm. for me. Yeah, we're, we're going to wrap this up in a minute. But the, the longer I'm a, a believer, the longer I'm, um, you know, trying to walk by faith, the more I see that the things that freak me out, that I want to run from, that I want to throw walls up, almost each and every single one is an opportunity. No, they're, they're all opportunities to draw closer to the Lord, to depend upon Him. Even what Brooke was saying right there, taking our problems, inviting God into them, and saying, will you help me change the way that I think about this? I can't stand um, when my son does this or when my sibling does this. Rather than I need to change them, asking God in that what do I need to learn? How can I grow in this? Jesus, where can you be glorified in, in this element of my thinking, my relationships? This is one of the best things that you can do. God, this isn't working for me. Change the way that I think about it. Um, that, that'll pay returns for the rest of your life. Are we just doing one more? We can do one more. You got one? Okay, I really want to do the number three in the relationships. One. Do it. Okay, okay. So you guys... This is like money here. So let's, let's like um, take notes, right? Okay. 
So this question is, what is the best way to repair a friendship after an intense argument? So this is for any conflict. Okay, you guys, this is so important. Okay, the rule number one. I don't see anyone taking notes. This is good. You're going to wish you took notes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you tell them. It can't be more important to be right, right? Restoring the relationship needs to be where your heart is at, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's like first, before you go in, make sure that your heart is right to restore the relationship. Um, and then the first thing you do when you go in is you need to acknowledge the other person's position, okay? Care about their heart first. Show them that you see them, that you, you understand like what they went through, that you can see their frustration, their hurt, their pain, their point of view, whatever that may be, okay? So acknowledge them first. If they feel seen, then they can turn around and listen as you express your perspective, what you experienced, what your deal is, right? So then you do your stuff. And then after that, after you guys both share, you, you come up with a solution together, right? And at that point, once you guys are, you know, talking about solution, it's important to know that you can't do things exactly the way you did them in the past, right? Once you're ready to forgive and move forward, you can't go back to the same behavior or you'll get the same result. So know that in the solution, you guys need to come up with something new moving forward. Um, another just general rule when you argue with anybody is don't use absolutes because nobody never does something or always does something. Only the Lord is absolute and constant. We are not. Um, and bringing up old stuff and accusing someone of like these big grand things never works. Yeah. When you use absolutes and arguments, you're basically guaranteeing that argument is going to end in a failure. If I'm upset with Brooke about this, and I don't address this, but I say, you always do this with the water bottles. I have just invited every single other time we fought about this or disagreed about this into that moment. So how can we possibly deal with this? So speaking in absolutes is like basically just dropping a grenade into the conversation. If you're upset about X in your conversation or your relationship, deal with X, but deal with it in the way that Brooke pointed out, desiring to rectify the relationship, not necessarily be right. Something that somebody said to me once that is always stuck when stuff like this comes up. If you're not ready to speak the truth in love, then you're not ready to speak. Which means you might be 100% right, but if you're not ready to say that right thing with love, with desiring the other person's best, you're not ready. So that argument can wait until the next day. And you pray until you're ready. And just thank God that he does, you know, deal with us gently like that. Yeah. So patient. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to respond in worship. Let me just say to you guys that uh, we only do this, like, like I said, maybe once a semester. It is such a gift to me not just to be your pastor, but from time to time get to be up here with my bride. So thank you for these excellent questions and for giving us the opportunity to come and talk to you guys. We love you so much. This is super fun for me. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, if you didn't, just lie and say that you did. I'll appreciate it. I'll believe you. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to respond, but please bow your heads. Well, Jesus, we thank you for today, and we thank you for this time. And I pray that anything and everything that Brooke and I said that was was of you, that was of benefit, was of value, that you would allow those things to stick. 
that you would help us remember them in the moment that we need them. And if there's anything we said today that wasn't much of value, like me encouraging students to lie, I pray that those things would just fall by the wayside. We do want to change the way that we think about who you are and who you created us to be. And if there was anything good in what Brooke and I shared about how you've been teaching us those things, then I say amen. But we all have things to share and teach each other. And I thank you that Thanksgiving is here, this season of gratitude where we're going to be with a lot of our family. Would you help us be learners in those interactions? Would you help us be people that say, I don't want to be right. I don't want my way today. I just want to love the people around me. I want to be grateful for the brother, the sister, the mother, the father, the son, and the daughter you gave me. Lord, I pray that we would be a grateful people this week and that just by the way that we demonstrate our gratitude, that people will ask, man, something's different about you than the last time. What's going on with you? And we can share a little bit about your love for us and your love for them. Lord, we love you. We pray you bless our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.